I want to welcome you to the Marty McLean podcast. This is episode four. Today's episode, why I support the nation of Israel. Now, I do support the nation of Israel, and I have to, in full disclosure, let you know something about myself. I read a book every day that has been authored by Jews. I do. Every day I read a book that is authored by Jews. You know what it is? It's the Bible. Did you know every author in the Bible except one is a Jew? And the one that's not is Luke, the physician. He wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. So in full disclosure, as I tell you that I'm a supporter of the nation of Israel, I want you to know that I read a book every day that is authored by Jews. So I have an incredible Jewish influence upon my life. Not only that, I'm actually counting on a a Jewish man to take me to heaven when I die. Of course, Jesus was a Jew. He came in fulfillment of the Jewish law. Jesus never sinned in word, thought, or deed. The Jews of his day as a whole, they rejected him. They turned him over to the Romans, and the Romans crucified him. He was laid to rest, and on the third day, he was resurrected from the grave. Forty days later, he ascended back up into heaven. And because Jesus lives, I believe that because I've committed my life to him and he's forgiven me of my sins, that I will live for all of eternity according to his word, according to what he said. He said, I'm the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And, and I believe in Jesus. I've accepted him as my Savior. Ask for forgiveness. So when I start talking about the nation of Israel, and I say I support the nation of Israel, I, I'll just give you full disclosure. My life is heavily influenced. And my eternity is heavily influenced by Judaism, by Jews. Now, it's interesting. When Jesus came to this earth, as I mentioned a few seconds ago, the Jews as a whole, they, they rejected him. They did not receive him. They were looking at more of a workspace righteousness, and they turned him over to the Romans, trumped up charges, and Jesus was crucified. Now, what came about after his resurrection is that there were Jews that believed in Jesus as the Messiah, and they would constitute the early church. Peter, James, John, then later you'd have Saul, who would become known as the Apostle Paul. And the church began to spread. And as the years would go by, it became more and more apparent that the bulk of the Jews, the majority of the nation, were not going to accept Jesus as the Messiah. But the Gentiles, whoa. Boy, they were taking this gospel stuff as good news, and they were coming into the church by the droves. And so the church, as the years would go by, became comprised more and more of Gentiles, and the leadership became more and more Gentiles, so much so to the fact it became a Gentile enterprise and started going all throughout the world. But what about the Jews? What about the Jewish nation? Well, if you look in Romans chapter 11, you'll see that the Jews were set aside. They had, they had not accepted Christ as Messiah, even though you go to Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, all these Old Testament prophecies talked about a suffering servant, talking about someone who would bear the sins of the people, yet they missed it. And so having missed it and having chosen not to accept Christ, what happened to the Jewish people after that? 
Well, if you look at your histories, history books, you'll know that in 70 AD that the Romans would put down a Jewish rebellion there in Jerusalem, kill hundreds of thousands of the Jews, and scatter them. And they would go throughout the Mediterranean world. The ones that were left, years later, about 135 AD, they would have another rebellion against the Romans, and what was left would be scattered again. And so the Jews would be set aside, and they would be forced out of the land. Now, you got to understand, the land that the Jews had been occupying had been deeded to them by God in a promise made to Abraham. It was known as the promised land. And, and God had put some conditions on their staying in the promised land. And he'd even told them, it's even spoken of in the book of Deuteronomy, that if you go astray and you won't listen to what I say, then I'll eventually take you out of the land. But then he would talk about bringing them back into the land. And previously in their history, they'd been taken out of the land and taken into Babylonian captivity. And then the Babylonians being defeated by the Medes and the Persians allowed them to come back eventually and rebuild their temple, rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, and reestablish themselves in the land. But then at the time of Christ, when they rejected Jesus as the Messiah, then they were scattered. They were scattered. And in Romans 11, they were set aside. Now let me say this. Just like in the Bible, in the New Testament, Jews and Gentiles are saved in the same way. It's through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You go to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone to, who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. That would be the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the Gentiles and the Jews are saved in the same way. But the Jewish nation as a whole, having rejected Christ, they were dispersed throughout the nations and set aside. But if you read prophecy, you read the Old Testament, and even if you read the book of Revelation, you'll see there's a, there's a Jewish presence in the end time. There is a, a Jewish nation. And so you, even though the Jewish people would be dispersed throughout the, the world for 1,900 years, in an incredible display of the sovereignty of God, the Jewish people would maintain their cultural, ethnic, and religious identity in spite of persecution unseen by any other people group. Throughout the centuries, the Jews would be persecuted. They would be kicked out of countries. They were kicked out of England at one time. They were kicked out of Spain another time. They endured the 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 Spanish Inquisition, they endured the Russian pogroms. All this persecution, they were actually, at one time they were accused of starting the Black Plague, poisoning wells. They were kind of the scapegoat. They would blame the Jews. Things went bad, some people would blame the Jews. But for all these centuries, they maintained their, their identity as a people group. They were not absorbed into these other nations. And you would think if you were going into these other nations and that you were going to suffer the type of persecution that Jewish people would suffer throughout the centuries, you'd think there would be an incredible pressure just to go ahead and absorb into the surrounding nations and no longer maintain your identity. But they didn't. They didn't. 
And for all those hundreds of years, from the time they were kicked out by the Romans, destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed for centuries. And that land of Israel would come under control by people like the Byzantine Empire, the Crusaders, the Ottoman Turks, and others. All these hundreds of years would go by, and Jews would be scattered throughout the world. But then something interesting would happen. 1897, there would be the first Zionist Congress. Congress. Theodore Herzl would be heading up. And he would talk about something to the effect that there is a people without a land and a land without a people. And he would be saying, look, 50 years we're going to have a homeland. Jewish people have a homeland. And if you follow your history books, you'll know that there weren't many people, there weren't many Jews in the land during that time. And then World War I happened. And what Great Britain tried to do there in World War I is they wanted more of the financial backing of some of the, the Jews in places like the United States and Russia. And so they came up with this thing called the Balfour, um, the Balfour Declaration. And the British Foreign Secretary, Arthur Balfour, he sent this letter to Lionel Walter Rothschild and basically said that, hey, if you want, us, if you want a Jewish homeland in Palestine, we'll be for it. And so it kind of gave a legitimacy to maybe the Jews going back into the land. And that's 1917. The, Jew, the, the, the British were able, during World War I, to defeat the Ottoman Turks in that part of World War I. And General Allenby, the British general, before he comes into Jerusalem, now Jerusalem at that time had been under Muslim control with the Ottoman Turks for centuries. And General Allenby, a, a devout Christian man, refused to ride his horse into Jerusalem. He dismounts and he walks into Jerusalem, not as a conqueror, but as a pilgrim. And British control was exercised over Jerusalem at that time. And then in World War II, uh, with the League of, the Na League of Nations, the, there was the British mandate, and, and Great Britain, they were given control over Palestine. And after that time, of course, you know, the turbulent 20s and 30s, Hitler would rise to power in the 30s in Germany, and then you'd have the Holocaust. And during the Holocaust in Europe, 6 million Jews would be put to death. That's a third of the Jewish population at the time. 6 million Jews. And just a little slither of time, there would be international sympathy for the Jews. And that's, that's an unusual occurrence for there to be international sympathy for the Jews. But just that little slither of time there was, so much so that there was a UN resolution that called for the creation of an Arab state and a Jewish state in Palestine. And so what did the Jews do? They take them up on it. The Arabs didn't want to because they wanted it all. They didn't want the Jews to be there. So in, on May 14th, 1948, Israel declares themselves to be a sovereign nation. And you know, a lot of times when you declare yourself to be a sovereign nation, when you declare your, your, your nationhood, there should be an extended period of celebration. But what happened to Israel is the day after they declared themselves to be a nation, they're attacked on all sides by their neighbors. Kind of, you know, a, a welcome to the neighborhood type party or whatever. So they, they attack them, and against all odds, the Jews are able to maintain their nation. They're able to maintain their borders. And you've got to understand how, how thin they were. At one, point, at one 
point in Israel with their borders, they were only like 10 miles wide. Yet, these people who had gone through the Holocaust, who had moved into Palestine, and now constituted themselves as the nation of Israel, they were able, against all odds, to defeat their neighbors. Now, there would be another war that they would have in 56 against the Egyptians, but then the big one came in 67, Six Days War. It's a preemptive strike. They'd go against Syria, Jordan, Egypt. And once again, against all odds, with their backs to the Mediterranean and facing our enemies on every other front, from the north to the east and to the south, they would win. They would acquire the West Bank. They would acquire the Golan Heights from Syria. They, were, they would acquire Suez and the, and the Gaza Strip from Egypt. Now, they'd eventually give Suez back to Egypt. But they'd had this, this occupied territory now. And their size would extend itself. So there they were, 67. They, they went an improbable battle. They, they shouldn't have won 67 because on paper, you wouldn't give it to them. But then six years go by and uh, the War of Yom Kippur, they're, they're caught by surprise, and it was almost it was almost a disaster for the Jewish nation. But somehow, once again, against all odds, they win. Against all odds. And so here they are in the nation, in the land, the Jewish people, and they're having to fight for their very existence. 67, 73, these were major events that the Jewish nation had, had to experience. And they had to be all in. They knew that if they lost, it was going to be bad. These people wanted to annihilate them. But yet they won. And now, what is the bone of contention as we come to our day today, 2020, is Israel has held on to that land that they acquired in 67. They've held on to the West Bank. They've got the Golan Heights. They've got the Gaza Strip. Of course, there's some uh, Palestinian autonomy in the Gaza Strip, but Israel's still in control of it. And Israel, during this time, they've had to build walls in the West Bank. They had to build walls because during the Second Intifada, there are all these people with suicide vests that show up in, you know, in Israel and blow themselves up and blow Jewish citizens up. And so they had to have a way where they could, they could stop the suicide bombers. So they built these walls, and you have to go through checkpoints now. And so Israel, who they're also received rocket and mortar attacks on a regular basis, has held on to this occupied territory. The West Bank, the Golan Heights, Gaza Strip. And they're expanding their settlements into these areas. As a matter of fact, coming up on July 1st, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel, he's saying that he's going to annex the, annex the Jewish settlements in the West Bank and the strategically important Jordan Valley. So Israel is maintaining their grip on the West Bank. And they're extending themselves. Now, some would say... Why, do, why does Israel have to have that West Bank? Well, because they have people trying to kill them. They have people that if they relinquish territory, they have learned from experience that groups like Hezbollah 
or Hamas. These are Iranian-backed groups. One's Shia, one's Sunni. But they will come in and they will create havoc in these areas and they will use these areas as jumping off points to attack Israel. And so Israel, now they're holding on to the, to the, the, the territory which they've acquired and they're not letting, letting go. Now let me say this. That kind of brings us up to date with kind of the situation in Israel. And Lord, look, there's so much more I can say, but this is only like a 30-minute podcast, so I can't say everything, so I can say something. So there's going to be a lot that, that's missed here, but I'm trying to give the overall flavor so you can get the situation that the Jews are in. The nation of Israel is the most condemned nation in the United Nations. There have been more resolutions passed against Israel than any other nation. Did you know back in 2018, there were 27 condemnations handed out by the United Nations. Of those 27 condemnations, Israel received 21. Now, Israel, think about it. They're the only, what did it say, the only democracy in the Middle East? Israel, of all people, would be condemned by the United Nations. What about Kim Jong-un? He got only one condemnation. What about some of these nations ruled by these Muslim clerics? What about some of the dictators? What about some land these other nations have acquired from others that's disputed? Why aren't you as passionate about Kashmir as you are about the West Bank, United Nations? It doesn't make sense unless there's something else involved. Now, here's what I think is involved. I think that there is a spiritual element involved for the hatred of Israel. I do. I think it's satanically inspired. It does not mean that people who are against Israel you know, are devil worshipers or anything like that, but I do believe that there, there is a conspiracy, a spiritual conspiracy against Israel. Why is that? Well, because I believe Israel's to be a player in the end times. If you read the book of Revelation, if you read some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, Israel's a player. Now remember, first century, they're set aside. But it was said that they would be reintroduced. And for centuries, they were not an entity. For centuries, they were not a nation. And all of a sudden, 1948, they show back up. They're a nation. And the day after they become a nation, they're under brutal attack. And here they are, such a tiny, they, they compare in size to New Jersey, okay? There are less than 7 million Jews in Israel. Did you know that? There's less than 7 million Jews in Israel. Let me give you perspective. I live outside of Metro Atlanta. In Metro Atlanta, there's like 6 million people. So you take Metro Atlanta, maybe throw in Chattanooga and Savannah, and you'll basically have close to the population that's in Israel. The Arab League of Nations, there are 22 nations. They have over 400 million people. They have tons more land. Yet Israel occupies this little slither of land that was theirs. It was Israel before it was called Palestine. I believe that there's some significance when God called Abraham out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans in Genesis chapter 12. 
I believe there's some significance to that land. I believe there's some significance to blessing the people of Israel, to blessing the Jewish people. I believe when God says, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you, I believe there's some significance to that in Genesis 12. I'm not one of these that... I'm not, I'm not one of these that believe that Israel is, as a nation is just a coincidence. I believe it's part of this divine sovereignty of God. Even, you know, Benjamin Disraeli, who was one time was the prime minister of, of, of England now, this is purportedly in a conversation with, with Queen Victoria when she wanted to know, hey, what do you have for the existence of God? And his simple answer was, the Jew. That Israel, that the Jews are still here, that Israel is a nation. Now it's for Israel as a nation. Now you take it now where Israel is a nation. And against all odds, they have nationhood. And even after they became a, a nation, against all odds, they have maintained themselves. I think, I, I think that is an incredible witness. Now, if, if I was not a believer, and I, and I am a believer, I've, I've shared that with you, I am a believer. But if I, if I was not a believer, I would, I would do some serious study and say, let me see what this is about Israel. How is Israel still around? How do they maintain themselves? There's only, you know, worldwide, there's only right, a little bit under 15 million Jews. Did you know Jews make up one-fifth of one percent of the world's population? One-fifth of 1% of the world's population are Jewish. Now, here's something I want you to go. I want you to go and look how many Nobel Peace Prizes have been won by Jews. I want you to go look up how many things have been invented by Jewish people. I want you to see how humanity has been blessed by Jewish people. It's amazing. The contributions, the Jewish contributions to the world is extremely disproportionate for their size. The only way you can explain that is somewhere, somehow, there's a blessing. Somewhere, somehow, there, there's a blessing that was given. I believe one of the roles of, United, of the United States of America is to be a protectorate of Israel. I believe that's a, that's a blessing to the Jewish people. And I think the United States needs to always take that in mind when we conduct our foreign policy. Now, let me just say this. I, do not always, may, I may not always agree with what Israel does, and there may be some things that I may could do better, but I will support the nation of Israel. And here's something that's interesting, a development that's happened. And it's kind of disturbing to me. Is there are more and more evangelicals, people who say they're evangelicals, who are not really supportive of the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, they would be termed more pro-Palestinian than they are pro-Israel. You have groups like TELUS, which they are, they would say they're pro-Israel, pro-Palestinian, pro-peace. But they do not, you know, organizations such as that and conferences such as Christ at the, at the Checkpoint or documentaries like With God on Our Side, they do not see necessarily that Israel has a right to the land. They do not approach the situation from 
a prophetic point of view. They approach it more from a social justice point of view. And they look at the Palestinian people as being oppressed by the Israelis. That is a theme, I think, in the next weeks and months that's going to be, de be developed more and more when it comes to the situation between Israel and the Palestinians. It's going to be approached more and more from a social justice point of view. As a matter of fact, these groups that, that say they come in it from an evangelical point of view, which we would have differences, they... At times, there are some of those who say the situation between Israel and the Palestinians is very similar to apartheid in South Africa. As a matter of fact, they have Desmond Tutu as one of their supporters. So, so you're going to see the Israel-Palestinian conflict approached now, I believe, more and more from the aspect of social justice. And they're going to probably be throwing around apartheid more and more. Now, there is a wall. They've built the wall. Once again, they built hundreds of miles of wall all throughout the West Bank because people kept coming over and blowing them up. Now, I know there are good Palestinians or good Palestinian Christians, but these radicals get mixed in there. And you've got groups like Hezbollah and Hamas that are more than happy to come in there and mix things up and blow people up. And Israel, because the second intifada, they had to stop people from coming in and blowing themselves up. They started building walls and have people going through checkpoints. Now, of course, if, if you're a Jew, that's going to distinguish you from a Palestinian. Of course, there's, there's, going to be a, there's going to be a difference there because people are trying to kill the Jews. People are trying to kill them because they're Jews. So yeah, if, if people are going to try to kill you because of your ethnicity, then you have to try to make some distinguishment. You know, you have to distinguish between, between people at times because they're trying to kill you because you're Jewish. And so all this stuff is happening, happening now in Israel. And it's happening to Israel. And I, I have, you know, to me... For such a small minority of people on earth, like I say, one-fifth of one percent of the world's population is Jewish. More Jews live outside of Israel than inside Israel. No, no other people group, I do believe, have experienced the long-term persecution as the Jews have. I like what Dennis Prager said about the persecution. He says, you know, bigotry is bad in and of itself. Bigotry, hatred is always bad. But he makes a point. He says, this is kind of paraphrasing. He says, you know, the bigotry and hatred against the Jews is different. Because the bigotry against the Jews goes toward annihilation. People want to annihilate the Jews. They want to do away with the Jews. I mean, even, even in the Bible, even in the Persian Empire, in the book of Esther, Haman concocted a plan to kill every Jew in the empire. 
During World War II, Adolf Hitler had a plan to kill every Jew. It's amazing what these people have gone through. And now they have a homeland. Now they have a nation that is theirs. And yes, you know, they, they have the West Bank, they have East Jerusalem, they have the Golan Heights, they have Gaza. It's an occupied territory, but yet they're expanding into it. They have to have buffer. Now, not everybody understands that. Not everybody accepts that. But I guarantee you, if you live in a nation where people are lobbing rockets and mortars into your territory on a regular basis, you'd want to do what you could to stop it. And I believe that's what Israel's trying to do. Now, what's going to happen with Israel? I don't know if the situation gets better. I, I don't. I know that from reading, from reading the Bible and from looking at prophecy in times, I know there's a lot of, of turmoil that will take place. And I know that Israel is going to be the center. There's a lot that's going to happen. And Jerusalem is an, an extremely, extremely important city. And you know, let me just say one thing about, it, about Jerusalem. You know, if I'm not mistaken, there have been several presidents that have said, hey, we need to move our embassy to Jerusalem. We're going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. And finally, our president, the current president, move, is moving the embassy to Jerusalem. That's a big deal. To, rep to recognize Jerusalem as the Jewish capital. Now, not everybody likes that, but I don't have a problem with it because I, I believe that uh, there was a time in the past when Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. I believe that's where people like King David and King Solomon hung out. I believe it is their ancestral homeland. And if you have a group of people throughout the world that people constantly persecute and that they want to reconstitute themselves as a nation and they're willing to fight to do that and they have to fight and they have fought, I don't see a problem with them being in the land. Now, some of the things that, you know, when I was a boy, I remember I'd hear certain things that Israel would do. And I'd always think, man, that's exciting. When, when I would hear about the raid on Entebbe where they'd fly the planes low and go down there and, you know, into Uganda. And it had to be quick because when you went to Uganda back then and you didn't want to stay for supper with Idi Amin, you wanted to get in there and get out. And, and they went down there, they got all but four of the hostages out that had been kidnapped by a Palestinian organization. Incredible raid, daring execution, incredible. I mean, you just read about that, you see the movie, and it's like, wow, that's incredible. And then in the early 1980s when Iraq's building a nuclear reactor with the help of the French, and everybody knows, you know, it's probably not a good idea for Saddam Hussein to get a nuclear reactor. Everybody's talking about it, nobody's doing anything. So what does Israel do? They fly their planes over there and blow the place up. They do what others don't do. And there are so many times where you'll hear people say, the nations will say, Israel will do something, and the nations will 
publicly, they'll say they shouldn't have done that. That's wrong. But privately, they're like, I'm very glad they did that. See, Israel does what other people don't. Why? Because they got to survive. They know what it's like to come in, to come up on the short end of the stick. And so, as an evangelical, I know there are some evangelicals that now are going soft on support for the nation of Israel. I'm not one of them. I believe they have a right to be in the land. I believe that it was prophesied that at the end time that Israel would be an entity in that land, that they would be back in the land, that they would be a player in the end times. And by George, they're in the land. And they are a big time player right now. And so for me, it's like, it makes me want to read my Bible. It makes me want to look and say, hey, what else the Bible said? You mean the Bible could say that, that the Jews would reconstitute themselves and be put back into the land? Yeah, that's what the Bible said would happen. And, and then you look at the, the appearance of Jewish evangelists in the book of Revelation. It's like, that's incredible. Well, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. And if God had to set the Jewish nation aside for centuries and work through the church, and that's what he's been doing, but now as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, I believe Christ will return. I don't believe it's pie in the sky and it's sweet by and by. I believe Jesus will really come back. And I believe the nation of Israel in the Middle East in Jerusalem is part of that. And I, I look at this and I think, my goodness, God does have it all under control, doesn't he? God does call the shots. I mean, Babe Ruth may call a home run shot, but God calls the shots of nations. And it's amazing. Let me just say this. If you're not a believer, I'll, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read up about the plight of the Jewish people. I want you to read up on it. And I want you to read a book written by Jews. I want you to read the Bible. Start with the book of John. I just say, this is a Jewish man named John. He was one of Jesus' disciples. Start, read the book of John in the New Testament. Find out about Jesus, the Messiah. And see, here's the good news that what we see also from Scripture. There will come a time where as a whole, where the nation of Israel, they will turn to Christ. That will happen. Now exactly when it will happen, what year it will happen, I don't know, but I can see the signs of the time. And I can see that it's getting closer. Now I want you to think about that. I want to thank you for being with me today on the Marty McLean podcast. I hope this is uh, maybe giving you maybe piqued your curiosity to look into some aspects of prophecy in the Old Testament, New Testament, maybe look into the plight of the Jewish people, maybe be a stronger supporter of the nation of Israel. Man, I like organizations like APAC. I like uh, uh, the organizations like Christians United for Israel. Organizations that support Israel. I think that's very, very, very important. And I hope maybe you've learned something, maybe... Maybe it's made you want to get more involved or, or whatever it may be. But thank you so much for being with me today on the Martin McLean podcast. I, I want to ask you to do something. 
You know, sometimes you ever got your car serviced and that technician says, hey, you're going to receive an email from the dealership. How about giving me all fives on that, on that report? It sure would help me out a lot. So I'm like, well, okay, okay yeah, I'm satisfied with my service. That's what it takes. Here's what I want you to do. If you could put a review, if you would like, you don't have to, if you'd like to put a review on iTunes for the Martin McLean podcast, that'd be great. We got, we got a few reviews on there now. You know, not all reviews are going to be positive. I understand that. Anytime you put stuff out there, you got to be willing to deal with the negative. You got to be willing, you know, negative feedback. That's, that's life. You know, one of the things I've learned in life is sometimes you got to put it on your big boy britches. Other days you just put on a good pair of depends and go with it. So please leave a review. Uh, what you think about the podcast? Hopefully it would be five stars. You know, hey, but if it's not, so be it. Once again, thank you for your time. I look forward to being with you next time on the Marty McLean podcast.